Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 15 through 19, Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. It's really good to be in the house of God with the people of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's go. Let's go. I titled the message for today, Cleaning House. Cleaning House. Let me just kind of set the context for today's message. Um, remember, on uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus's triumphal entry, right? That was on Sunday. Okay, we're looking at, basically from Mark chapter 11 on, we're looking at Jesus's last week, okay, of his life. So, the triumphal entry was on Sunday. If you remember, he goes into Jerusalem, into the temple, scopes it out, and kind of analyzes what's going on, and then goes back to Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. That's Sunday. Monday, uh, he goes back, he's heading back towards Jerusalem, towards the temple. Remember last week, he, um, he cursed the fig tree. Remember that. Then he's still making his way towards Jerusalem, and now he's going to clean uh, clean the temple or cleanse the temple. It's Monday. So triumphal entry Sunday. Now we're on Monday here today. So let's look at today's passage together, church. It says this, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be a house, shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Let's pray. God, we love your word. It's a refresher to our soul. We love the scriptures because they lead us and guide us. And I pray that today, that it's your scriptures that speak to us, that it's your word that speak to us, that it's your word that edifies us, that it's your word that challenges us, that it's your word that comforts us today. There's so much to learn in this passage God, we honor you, we revere you, we fear you, we are in awe of who you are. And I pray that as we enter into a time of worship, not with our lips, but with our hearts and our minds, and as we study your passage and your word, may you remove any distractions that we might have that speak to us clearly, not for information's sake, but for transformation's sake, to become more and more like you, Jesus. We love you. Your name we pray, and God's people said, amen. Amen. I grew up in church since I was like two years old. Uh, I I grew up in the church. I grew up in an old school, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost fire church, okay? I grew up in one of those churches, and uh, I remember, uh, you know, just attending church as a young kid, and um, the the older people at the church um, had this like deep, deep, deep awe 
a deep, deep respect, a deep, deep reverence for the house of God and for God. Uh, I remember that going to church, we had to wear our best clothes. Anybody kind of grow up that way? Like you wore your best on Sundays. Like you just wore your very best. I remember my mom would try to dress me up with these like corduroy pants. They were super ugly. I don't know what she was thinking. I forgave her already. But, um, but uh, then, then you couldn't wear hats at church, right? Like hats is a no-no. Like you couldn't wear hats back then. Like they would, you know, the ushers would tell you to take off your hat. You're disrespecting the house of God. And then when like the ripped jeans came in and the girls started wearing the ripped jeans, I mean, guys, wear it now, whatever. It's all good, whatever you want. But I'm just saying like, like, God forbid that the girls show their knees. Like, you know, that's, you're showing way too much if you're showing your knees. And so it was a complete disrespect, right, to the house of God. And so I, back then, as a teenager especially, um, I, I didn't like it, right? I thought they were super, like, uptight, you know, and, you know, get with it, get with culture, get with the trend. But as I've grown older, I've learned to appreciate it. I really have. I've learned to appreciate their reverence for the house of God, their respect for the house of God and for the things of God. I learned to appreciate it. I, I, they had good motives. They really did. But their approach was like way off, right? Like they were, they were a little too legalistic. But at the heart of it, they had really good motives. They had this desire to revere God and respect God and be in awe of God. They had this this fear of God. And my question for you today, church, is this. Have we lost our reverence for the house of God? Have we lost our reverence for God himself? Have we lost our reverence for God, the house of God, the things of God? Truth is, I think in some churches across the country, across, across the world, I think we have. Not all of them, but I think we have. I think in some cases and in some local congregations, we have lost our reverence for the house of God and for the things of God and for God himself. In many places, the church service looks more like a circus than a place where the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is to be glorified and worshipped. I think in many churches, it's more about entertainment than equipping the saints and evangelizing the lost. I think in many places, the focus is on the preacher and how charismatic he is. The reverence is on the man, on the man of God and not necessarily on the word of God. I think in many places, there's the watered-down preaching of the word, self-help sermons, giving people the Jesus that they want, not the Jesus that they really need, the watered-down gospel because we don't want to offend anyone following the ways of the culture. I think we have in many cases. My hope and my prayer is that that never happens here at Restoration Church. Individually, I think we have shown some irreverence to God, not just as a body of Christ, but as individuals. We treat gathering in the house of God with the people of God as optional. We have a careless attitude many times. 
Saturday night, I don't really feel like going tomorrow morning and waking up. I'll probably just catch it next week, catch it online. It's a kind of a careless attitude to the house of God, to gathering with the saints of God. Our lives become a routine. Our spiritual lives become a routine, a check-the-box type of thing. We see following Jesus and being among the saints as an add-on to our lives, as like an extracurricular activity. We hear sermons, but we don't listen. Week in, week out, we come to church, we hear, we don't listen. It's a very big difference. We hear, we don't apply. We sing songs with our lips, but our hearts and our minds are focused on worldly things. So, in today's passage, Jesus is going to deal with the issue of irreverence. Utter disrespect, utter carelessness for the house of God and for the things of God and ultimately for God himself. And I believe this is going to speak to all of us here today. But there's a couple of things that I want you to see. There's actually three things that I want you to see. It just helps, it's going to help us get a uh, grasp of the passage here today. The first is this, the removal. I want us to see the removal. I want us to see Jesus basically cleaning house. Verse 15 says this, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Jesus started cleaning house. I mean, spring cleaning, right? I mean, he started cleaning the temple, and so it was really the outer court of the temple. I have a picture because I'm a visual person. So this is what the temple mount looked like in Jesus' day. So when they talked about Jesus being in the temple, he was here in this area right there. That, that area was called the court of the Gentiles, right? Uh, and so the Gentiles wouldn't be allowed to go past the little wall that was there, but all throughout the court of the Gentiles, there was a bunch of stands. It looked like a marketplace. And so that's what Jesus went into there. He didn't actually go into the temple, but the temple mount in the court of the Gentiles. And so Mark tells us that Jesus started driving out people. And this phrase to drive out is, again, a very forceful, violent phrase because it was used when, uh, when Jesus would cast demons out of people so much for the gentle and meek and mild Jesus, right? Like Jesus is so, like a, like a skinny guy, so gentle and so calm. And, no, like Jesus was like a tough guy. Like Jesus, you know, uh, was, 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 had some power and strength for him to do all that kind of stuff. So no, yes, Jesus is weak and, and mild, or meek and mild, but here's the thing, meekness is not weakness, okay? And uh, so Jesus started driving people out of this place, overturning tables. Now, here's what I think I, I really need you un to understand uh, in this passage. I need, I need you to understand what's going on during this time. So Mark says that Jesus started to drive out those who sold and bought. Okay, what was going on during this time? So during this time, it's Passover week. You have 
so many people here come into Jerusalem to worship and celebrate the Passover. So um, part of celebrating the Passover was bringing an animal to be sacrificed, okay? That's, that was the whole process there. Now, Josephus, a Jewish uh, first century historian, said uh, that around A.D. 66, so around, around this time, just during that time, uh, there were two, at one point, in one Passover week, there were 255,000 lambs sold, bought, and sacrificed in one week, okay? Now, you can... Um, make a sacrifice for 10 people if you had one lamb. So think about it. For, ten, for one lamb, you could sacrifice 10 people for, right? So if you do the math, uh, that was around 2.7 million people in Jerusalem during this time. So it's packed. Like, it's packed. There's people everywhere, right? And so people would bring their sacrifice to the temple. But they had to bring a sacrifice without blemish. They had to bring a perfect animal, perfect sacrifice, and this is where the problem begins. Like, this is where the problem begins. Here is why. Because, let's say that um, you're traveling from a different nation to Jerusalem for the Passover. You have to bring your animal sacrifice. So what would happen is people would get to the temple, and they had to have their animal inspected by a priest to make sure it was approved. They had to get it checked. Now, the priests weren't really good dudes. And so what they would do, even if it was a perfect sacrifice, a perfect animal, they would say, no, this is not good. Why? So that these people from different parts of the world and different nations would have to buy a sacrifice at 10 times the price at the temple. It was about this. It was about money. It was a whole scam. And it gets worse, right? So he drove out those who sold and bought because it was all a scam. They were charging people 10 times the amount of a sacrifice. Then Mark tells us he overturned the temples of the money changers. What's going on there? So if you're coming from another nation, you have that nation's currency. And every person had to pay a temple tax in Jewish currency. So what you can't pay the temple tax in your nation's currency. So what do you have to do? You have to get it exchanged at a higher margin. They, it was a, uh, what was it, um, a 25% markup. Again, it was a scam. It was all about money. And who was making the money? The priest, the religious leaders of the temple. And it gets worse, right? This is, I think this is the worst part. This next part's the worst part. Jesus also started overturning the seats of those who sold pigeons. What's up with that? Well, if you were poor, you, couldn't, you didn't have enough money to buy an animal sacrifice. So what would you do? You would buy a pigeon. You would buy a pigeon to offer up as a sacrifice. During that day, it's calculated that two pigeons were worth 25 cents. Normally, at the temple, $4, $4, from 25 cents for, to $4, this, these are the poor. The poor are being exploited in the temple. Just think about that. Not only that, it just, it's so bad, it just keeps getting worse, man. It says, Mark tells us that Jesus did not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. What's going on there? 
people were using the house of God as a shortcut to get from one point of Jerusalem to another point of Jerusalem. It was a big temple mound, about 35 acres, and they were simply just using it as a pathway to get from one point to the other. The Jewish people, especially the Jewish religious leaders of the day, started treating what was holy common. The holy temple of God, the house of God, was being treated as common. It was treated with such disrespect, such irreverence for God, for the house of God, and for the people of God that came to worship there. The removal. The second thing I want you to see is the rebuke. The rebuke in verse 17, they're all ours. They're all ours today. You're going to get three R's today. Just make it easy. Verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Here Jesus quotes from the first part, the uh, the first part of his statement where he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. That's from Isaiah 56, verse 7, where the nations were supposed to go worship on the temple, all kinds of ethnicities there. Isaiah 56, 7 says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. In, in our text here, the word nations is the word ethnos, meaning ethnicity. So the house of God was supposed to be a place where all types of people, all types of ethnicities would come together as one to worship the true God. To meditate upon him. To pray. To worship that's, that was the original intent, the original purpose. And so the temple, instead of being a place of praying, it was a place of pain. Paying outrageous prices to exploit people. Instead of the house of God being a place of uh, paying, or praying, I'm sorry, praying, it was actually a house of Praying on the poor. That's what the house of God turned into. That's the first part of Jesus' statement. The second part, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Actually, let me go back a little bit. Let me say one more thing about that. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, right? Worship to the true God. But I want you to think about something. If you were a Gentile coming from a different nation to worship God, how could you worship God with millions and millions of people around you distracting you? How can you worship God in a place that reeked like animals? How can you worship in a place where you know that the religious leaders of the day were exploiting people for money. It's impossible to worship in a place like that. It's impossible. 
And so the religious people were, especially the religious leaders, were stopping people from worshiping. And Jesus says, hey, it's a, you've made it to a den of robbers. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, it says this, talking about, in that context, the corrupt worship of the people. Actually, you know what? I'm going to read just a little bit before that. Verse 8, might not be on the screen, but it says this. It says this, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You will steal, you will murder, you will commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. You're going out. Here's, here's the idea. They're living in dis, utter disobedience to God. Yet they're coming into the house of God, using it as a filter to make themselves look more spiritual. A den of robbers was a place where thieves went to go hide. The religious leaders of the day were hiding behind the temple. They were hiding their hypocrisy. They were hiding their sinfulness. They lived however they wanted, but they would hide behind the temple and hide their sinfulness. Church, we could never hide our sinfulness from God. We might hide our sinfulness from people, but we will never hide our sinfulness from God. And may we never use the house of God as a place to come here and hide our sinfulness so that other people can think, like, oh, we go to church. This person goes to church. They must be good. On the outside, it looks like we have it together. We go to church every week. We never miss. May we never use the house of God as a den to hide our sinfulness. Number three, look at the response of the people. Verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Man, they were upset at Jesus. Jesus was bad for business. Like he was bad for business. He was bad for the bottom line. Isn't it crazy people's response to the radical call of Christ? You want to kill him, or you're just amazed at his teaching? That's how they responded to this radical call of Christ. It was one thing for Jesus to oppose the religious leaders in the countryside of Galilee, the lay leaders in the synagogues. But now, he's in the city. He's opposing the Sanhedrin. The Jewish kind of supreme court, he went, to, he went to them. He took the fight to them. 
in Jerusalem. Of course they're going to be upset. And so what does Jesus do? After he overturns the table, drives people out, he just goes back to Bethany, two miles out. Second time he goes back to Bethany. Church, here's, here's what I want us to understand in this passage today. I think here's the big idea. It's this. That what you revere, you resemble. What you revere, you resemble. The Jewish people were supposed to revere God so they could resemble God, so they could reach the nations for God. Instead, the Jewish people revered money right? They resembled greed and all the crap that comes with that, and they'd reached no one. What you revere in your heart, you resemble. You and I resemble. So the question is then, how do we show reverence to God? Let's bring it home to, to our context. How do we show reverence to God? How do we revere God with our life? How do we revere the house of God, the people of God, and ultimately God himself? I'm just going to give you some thoughts in just no particular order. I just want to give you some thoughts. There's a lot of, there could give you a lot of examples, but I'll give you some. It's not exhaustive, but I think it really begins with us being open to Jesus coming into our lives and overturning all the tables in our life and in our heart that do not honor him. Where we don't revere him. Where we don't respect him. Where we act careless about him. May he come into your life and begin to overturn tables Drive out the things that are not pleasing to him so that you can resemble him to reach people for him. Amen? Are you with me? Super quiet. Super quiet. I don't know if you're mad at me or not if you're in tune with me. I don't know. I'll just say you're mad at me, whatever. Send, yes. send me, if you're mad at me, send me an email at Johnny at I don't give a care.com. All right, go ahead. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Not really, but anyway. Be open to Jesus overturning the tables of your life. Believer, those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, do you remember when you first came to Christ? Let me take you back to when you first came to Christ, when Christ saved you. Do you remember the passion the devotion, the reverence, the respect, the fear, the fire that you had for him? I think he's calling us back to our first love. You remember that? Where things weren't a routine? Where all you thought about was God? Where you couldn't get enough of him? You remember that? Where you revere him? Where you shared him, 
where you try to do everything for the glory of God, and for whatever reason, instead of us becoming more passionate about God over the years, we could become more complacent. We've been playing church way too long. Let's stop playing church. Church. Let's go back to that first love. I remember when I first came to Christ, um, uh, I was like, man, I'm fire for God. And it was when the Passion of the Christ came out on DVD, you know, so I was using that as my gospel track everywhere. And uh, I remember showing the, the movie to my, my uh, brother and my younger cousin. They're about four years younger than me. And I'm like, hey, guys, I want you to see this movie. Like, you need to see this movie. And so I said, you're going to stay in my room, and I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to put this DVD. You're going to watch this. You're going to sit there and watch The Passion of the Christ, okay? And uh, so I put the movie on, and uh, like I said, they're four years younger than me at that time. They're like 14. And they started laughing at the movie. I I have no idea if they were laughing at the movie or me, but they were laughing at something. I kicked them out of my room. Like, I was like, you are not watching this movie. You're not worthy of watching this movie. I took it serious. It was serious, man. Like, get out of here. You're not worthy of watching this movie. Go back to your first love, man, that passion you had. Reverence for God means reverence for the house of God, the people of God. Not neglecting to meet together with the saints. Church is not an option. I don't care what they tell you. It's not an option. Do not neglect gathering with the saints. It's not an option. You can't have that careless attitude of, ah, I don't feel like it today. I'll catch you next time. I'll catch you. Whatever happened to just desiring to go to church, to worship God, to sit under the preaching of the word, to open our heart and our mind and our ears, to be equipped, encouraged, challenged for the word of God. How do we revere God? We we revere God in prayer. In prayer. Yes, we're children of God. And we're supposed to go to God as children, right? As our Father, as our Heavenly Father. Going before God and just letting it out. Speaking to Him as a Father or as a friend. But here's the thing. We're also subjects of the king. He's also the Lord of our life. We go in prayer to God in reverence. We're not just speaking to anybody. I've heard people say, oh, hey, big man upstairs. Hey, big man upstairs, man. No, he's not the big man upstairs. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's a sovereign creator, and he he deserves our respect and our reverence. No big man upstairs. If you remember what the disciples said, Jesus teaches how to pray. What does he say? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Holy. When you pray to God, you are praying to a holy God, a perfect God, a righteous God. You're not just praying to anybody. Not only that, but when we pray to God, one of the ways we revere him is to consider him in our prayers, to consider him in our life, to consider him in everything that we do. 
To not consider him is to not revere him. Because we think we could do it on our own. And that's just, that doesn't work. When you're here in the house of God, I encourage you to sing. Sing with your mind and sing with your heart. Don't just check out. Know what you're singing. Know why you're singing it. When you're listening to a message, listen with your ears and with your heart actively. We revere God in that sense. Taking the worship serious, the worship service serious in the house of God. And this is the little things that matter, right, church? Like, for example, arriving on time to church. Just think about it. You show up late to church, you're hustling, you're getting the kids checked in, you come into church, and you're distracted, and your focus is on all that stuff, and it's not focused on what? God. It's the little things that matter. Why? Because they're, they're an indication of our heart. We show up to things early that we value, right? We do. Come early. Get your heart right. Get settled. Know that you're going to focus on God himself. Lastly, obedience. Obedience. Simple obedience to God and the word of God. The greatest form of irreverence is disobedience. The greatest form of irreverence towards God is disobedience. A life that doesn't reflect him, a life that doesn't resemble him. What you revere, you resemble. Why does that matter though? Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because reverence for God precedes reaching people for God. Let me say that again. Reverence for God precedes reaching people for God. The Jewish people had no reverence for God. No reverence at all. They for, therefore, they did not resemble God. They for, therefore, they, they didn't reach people for God. Or the, at least the amount of people that they could have reached. That's why it matters. Because if we want to reach people for God, we got to resemble God. And in order to resemble God, we have to revere him as the Lord of our life. That's why it matters. It has everything to do with other people. It has everything to do with the mission that we have been called to reach people who are far from God. So we must resemble him because here's the thing. What people think of you, they think of God. What people think of you, they think of God. What people think of you, they think of Restoration Church. Resemble him. Revere him. Stop playing games. Take it serious. Follow him. Love him. Open your heart. Let him come in and clean all the stuff in your life. Return to your first love. We need to change the world. We need to change the world. And it starts with our hearts being bowed down 
to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.